Welcome to Collins Conversations. I always let the guests introduce themselves. Let everybody know who you are, a little bit about uh, the beginning days and kind of moving into what you're doing now. All right, so hello everybody. My name is Francesca Robleson. I'm originally from Madagascar and right now I'm a student at Brown University and I'm the founder of UMIN, which is a nonprofit organization that seeks to prevent and break the cycle of emotional abuse, not only in my country, Madagascar, but uh, starting a movement all around the world. And uh, let's go back to Madagascar, a place that I've never even thought about traveling to. Um, for somebody, the, the average stupid American, because we're so bad with geography <laughs> in, in general, um, what can you tell us about life in Madagascar? Yeah, so it's beautiful. I Usually when people, uh, when I tell people about Madagascar, they refer it to the movie. Have you seen the movie, by the way? <laughs> I have seen the movie. Madagascar. Yeah, so it's not, it's not like that. They... It's a beautiful island. It's off the coast of Africa, and uh, it's uh, we don't we do have cities. We do have beautiful beaches, and we we do have the best uh, fauna and flora in the world. And yeah, I just invite you to uh, look into it uh, more. Maybe Google, or you can go uh, on Netflix or uh, National Geographic. It's 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 wonderful. And if you get the chance, please come visit us. How long is the uh, the plane ride from Madagascar to, uh, say, Brown University? So last time was uh, almost a day, <laughs> half a day. So I, I had to stop uh, uh, in France. But I think overall, mm. it's like less than a day. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, what made you get out of Madagascar and come to America? Yeah, so it was my dream. I When I was uh, growing up, I was watching, you know, American shows and it was kind of like the American dream to even speak English and to come here and to, to study basically here. I always was uh, passionate about psychology and uh, in my country was a little bit new and I was like, I want to go there. I want to speak English and I want to to continue and maybe leave my American dream. I didn't know what it was yet, but I just knew I wanted to go here. And uh, you said American dream. What would be your, come, somebody coming from a small island off the coast of Africa, moving all the way here, what is your goal? Um, and are you going to go back there once you're done with school? Yeah, so like I said, it was just this dream of being able to even speak English in the first place and just travel and visit. And most of the things that we saw on movie, on TV, was about America. So I, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was just going there. That's like the dream. <laughs> that would have been the dream. But yeah, I would love to be, be able to go back and forth from here and Madagascar and be able to help as much as I can based on what I've learned here and, and uh uh, basically give back to my uh, community back home, which I'm already doing, but doing more of that. Absolutely. And uh, you've mentioned that uh, it kind of the goal is to learn to speak English. How long have you been working on um, learning English? Uh, when we were back home, we did, you know, an hour, two hours a week. And when I came here, that's when I started uh, learning. That was back uh, in 20. 2014, so almost six years, and um, yeah, I learned. I I took S S E L. What is it called again? Uh, second English as a second language. E S L. Sorry, not S E L. E S L. Uh, English as a second language for a year, I think, and then that's when I started taking uh, credit classes. That's how they call it. And I started taking uh, psychology and all my my um, my major basically. But yeah, almost for a year, I learned English. 
Well, that's fantastic because you already speak way better than I do. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm still working on it. But yeah, thank you. I, I took Spanish in high school for four years and I, I thought that I did good and I, I don't know anything. I still remember vocabulary, <laughs> but putting together thoughts and all the different things. Anybody oh, that my gosh. In any different language, whether it's learning English, Spanish, Cantonese, anything, it, yeah. ability to know two languages, I'm always impressed at. The way that you could kind of go back and forth is amazing. I'll tell you something. When I was in high school, we were supposed to choose between uh, Spanish and German. And all my all the people in my family took German. Nobody told me that it was like really hard. So I took it anyway. I took it for until I graduated. And, and then all my friends who took uh Spanish they are so 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 fluent in it and I can't even keep up a conversation like even I took like four years and I can't even hold a conversation which is really sad but I wish someone told me that it was a little bit hard a little bit is like an understatement but yeah <laughs> um the language of Madagascar is Marina Marina is that, am I pronouncing that right Malagasy Mal Malagasy yes thanks Google you failed me um <laughs> Usually people say Madagascan. It's not Madagascan, it's Malagasy. And people are called Malagasy as well. Language is Malagasy and we do speak French as well. We have been colonized by French. I find that so interesting about kind of, I'm sure other cultures do it too, not just America, but like we go to find a country and we're going to call the country something else, call the people and the language all different things than like what the people actually there call it. It's such a baffling experience. Like, why wouldn't we just pronounce it however they pronounce it, even if it's difficult? <laughs> wouldn't that make yeah. more sense? It is. And maybe it's the fact that it's called Madagascar, Madagascar, and people just want to like American. So Madagascan, which I understand, but it's Malagasy. So if someone is watching out there like please call us Malagasy yeah it will mean a lot because it, it shows that you are being sensitive a little bit thank you <laughs> right and what was the biggest cultural other than language obviously because we know that's a huge difference but once you got into America what was one of the big culture shocks what was kind of the thing that was hard food. to get used to <laughs> the food? food like you see it on tv it's like it looks so delicious and huge. It is huge, but the the taste for me was not there. And I feel like the fact that I've like countries in my uh, like Madagascar where food is almost organic and it's delicious. Like it's small, but it's so delicious. And then once you come here, I don't know. Maybe I had just had so much expectation. I went to McDo McDonald's for the first <laughs> time. I was like, I had some. Yeah, it was not. Yeah. The food was a little bit disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I, I always say I love doing road trips, kind of just get in the car and just like you can go 3,000 miles that way, 1,000 miles that way. It's fantastic. But I wish off the interstate we had things that weren't just McDonald's, weren't just Burger King, all those. Instead, get a mom and pop shop because like you said, if if you have McDonald's, you're like, oh, this is plain. It doesn't really have much flavor. Or then you go get a hamburger at a local diner and they throw a whole bunch of different ingredients. You're like, wow, this hamburger is amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah but i'm sure that in some places they do have like like really taste tasty food it's just like the place where i was i didn't get to experience that that much of that but that yeah i think that was the first culture shock that i had the food and what type of is there a particular dish from back home that you kind of really wish that there was a, a place that had it everywhere here Yes, it's 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 our it's a typical dish in my country. It's called it's called 
Rav Tutsi and Aksut, and it's like uh, pork with um, this type of, uh, uh, how can I say it, mashed uh, herbs. I don't know how it's called here. It's a leaf. Oh my gosh, I, I don't, I have like a brain fart right now, but it's it's from like um, a leaf and we do find it in at some um, uh, uh, Asian, Asian uh, groceries, but uh, I wish we could uh, have more of that here. I'll have to look that one up. It sounds interesting. Yeah, um, and we did, and we do eat a lot of rice as well. That's our thing. I mean, that's my thing. Every time we have something here, I'm like, I need my rice, and my friends are like laughing and like, you're not in Madagascar anymore. I'm like, still, I like my rice. <laughs> you can still get rice everywhere. That's all right. Yeah. And uh, what brought you to Brown University? I mean, we have eight million schools. Was it a scholarship? Was it something just about what they offered? What brought you to Brown University? Okay, long story. Let me <laughs> try to get back. So um, I came here. Uh, I went to a community college in Northern Virginia. And uh, like I told you, I took ESL. And then after that, um, I'm international student. So it's kind of expensive to, to go to school here. We need to pay two to three times what Americans pay. And then at some point, I didn't have money anymore. I was working three jobs on the side. And, and then at the end, I, I graduated. And I was like, I don't have no more money. How can I continue my education? And then my, my, uh, I, I was even thinking about doing my, uh, you know, my, um, I should associate again with another, you know, with another uh, major, but I was like, no. And my, one of my professors told me about this uh, scholarship. It's called um, the Jack Kent Cook Transfer Scholarship. And at that time I was just looking at the application. It was like, I think 10 pages. And I was like, okay, let me try to go through this. And I went through it. And then at the end, um, I got it. And uh, one, of the, one of the requirements that they, they wanted me to, 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 to do is to, to apply for a top school. And uh, I looked at, I, I found this program at Brown. It's for, um, it's called RU program. It's for people who have been in and out of school. And I thought that that would be like a perfect program for me. And that's how I applied. It's, um, it's a tiny program for people, uh, I would say, who, not, who are non-traditional, I would say, in their path. And uh, yeah, that's how I applied. And then I got in and that's how I uh, got into Brown. And do you like it there? Do you wish you would have went to another school? How's life been since you since you started there? I love it. I think it's one of the best choices that I've taken in my life. <laughs> one of them. Uh, and uh, I, I just the fact that they have been very welcoming. The fact that they have they are really understanding and uh, the community that I found here has been helping me not only transferring, but really reaching, I would say my full potential in terms of even being able to, to, to pursue what I, what I dreamed or something that I'm passionate about. So really that has been one of my best um, choices so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're studying uh, socio sociology organizational studies. Um, which I, I think could make you have a very interesting perspective of this question that has kind of worked its way into every interview since I first heard about it. And the question mm -hmm. is, what is something that you believe to be true that other pe people would either believe to be false or just strongly disagree with your stance? With my stance? Well, uh, hmm. 
Uh, that's a deep question. Uh, so just going back into why I chose sociology just a little bit, I, I, I chose BEO, it's called BEO, Business Organizational Organization uh, and Entrepreneurship, Business Entrepreneurship and Organization, sorry. And uh, uh, it was dissolving. Uh, I mean, it is dissolving here at Brown right now. So that's why I'm taking the path that is more sociology, which I think is a good Continuation, continuation of what I did in a community college, which is uh, which has which was psychology, and now I'm going into sociology, which is broader, but I think it's still really interesting. Uh, and then I'm doing an entrepreneurship track as well, certificate. So on the stance, can you give me like a, an example? Let's say, what about you? And then maybe I'm gonna get inspired because right now I don't have anything in mind. See, this is what I love about this question is almost every person I've asked it to has the exact same, like you look up in the corner, you're like, huh, there's so many ways you could take this one. Um, going back with the root of the question, something that you believe to be true that other people might not agree with that um, it's essentially kind of like that hot sparking kind of where do you really think like the first initial thought is what I'll go with. And what I would say that I believe to be true that most people don't is that I believe that companies should give a five cent raise per week to all employees. I think that people should mm. start off making next to no money, whatever minimum wage you wanna put it at, eight, $9 even. Um, but every week, as long as you are on time, as long as you have done your done whatever tasks that are involved with the job, you get a five cent raise. It seems like nothing, but something like mm. that opposed to people thinking, um, and what made me think about this is I, a lot of people right now are in up in arms of the $15 minimum wage hike that they're trying to get up to, which can people live on that eight, $9 or the federal, I think is still like seven. Absolutely not. You cannot do that. You'd live, unless you're living with like four people that are all doing that and you're all kicking in. But I think where, where people lose that is if you started a job that had next to no money and you knew every week, as long as you did your job, you showed up, you get five cents more by the end of the year, you would be making $12 if you started at $9 or whatever, whatever the numbers are to where, and that will continue until availability of inflation, all those fun things that you could take to. But that's a, a concept that I think would work really well that a lot of people like, why would I give somebody a five cent raise a week? That's ridiculous. So mm, that, that's where I, okay. I personally would take that question today. Okay. So now I understand the question better. It was, I thought it was more like a belief and then, okay. So more practically, okay, so I believe that uh, schools everywhere should give social emotional learning as a curriculum, really part of the um, part of the curriculum in the school to allow students to, you know, build more empathy towards each other. And uh, that's something that I haven't seen many schools applied, apply that into their curriculum. And yeah, I think it would have so many benefits, not only in um, building people's uh, resilience, sense of uh, you know uh, emotional intelligence and being able to navigate the world with that tool. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that one where a lot of people think, no, they need to learn history and science and math. And yeah. a typical American will graduate high school not knowing how to do their taxes, not knowing how to buy a car, not knowing how to fix the car, not knowing how to make their food. Like we don't learn any real skills where I think if, exactly. if, if uh, take elementary school, the kindergarten through fifth grade, if, if they focused on what you just said, for those years, you're just learning about physical body, nutrition, mm -hmm. how, how mm -hmm. to, like you said, be empathetic, how to treat people, how to make friends, how to build relationships. 
Then you get into middle okay. school, you learn how to do practical jobs. You get into high school, you learn a little bit of math, a little bit of these other things. And then when you really want to get more educated and you go to college, you go to a, a, a university community mm -hmm. college, that's where you'd focus on science, all the, all the abstract things. Yeah. And you'd yeah. actually be a developed human being. So like, there's a lot of things around education that you can yeah. get. So. Yeah, research shows that like really social emotional uh, learning can help build healthier, uh, build uh, more resilient and also, you know, on the job when you really get into the job, those skills, that's how you build relationships and how you maintain and how you make things happen basically, but uh, so little of uh, uh, what we give in school uh, are not focused on that, unfortunately. And how does the schooling and educational system in Madagascar differ from in, in America? Is, is it a completely separate system or is it kind of a, a familiar thing? Um, I would say it's similar. Maybe the, 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 the design is not really the same, but I would say that it's, it's the way you said it, like compared it to, to American education, you mean? Yeah, like do you guys have like an elementary, middle school, high school, college, like yeah. the same yes. set up in different curriculum or how, how does it's school? It's the same. Start? It's the same logic, but it's not called like middle school. It's it's called differently. Uh, we follow a French uh, system, I would say, the one that I went into. The public, similar, yeah, kind of similar. You go, yeah, you go to yeah it's kind of like middle i don't know how to explain it i have to use like fresh uh, words but yeah it's it's almost the same um the same logic but the way we are tested for example is not the same we don't do multiple choice we have like that dissertation we have uh presentation it's more it's less focused on memorizing things it's more how to think critically and um apply that like most of what i had for example in community college is just like true false and it's it's not really like that there gotcha um so let's move away from school uh another cool thing on your uh resume per se is that you've uh been pretty involved with the clinton foundation what can you tell me about that okay so <laughs> that's a funny story too I, when, I, when i was in community college it was in virginia like i said and i've never been outside of virginia back then and i was i saw this uh, you know announcement uh, at school and it was like uh, uh, looking for social entrepreneurs for the clinton global initiative and it would be in boston and they would uh, basically would be free so i was like oh i've never been in boston let me just apply so i just applied and uh, they were just looking for someone with um, with a project, a proposal. And at that time, I started thinking about a project that I wanted to basically uh, link with what I just told you earlier. Uh, not really social emotional learning, teaching that in school, but more focused on teaching young people about um, uh, alcohol, about um, healthy relationships. So things that I learned in my community college, I was a sexual assault peer educator in my uh, campus and I wanted to bring that back in Madagascar. And I thought that having that uh, would prevent, could prevent um, domestic violence basically. So that was my project, my initial project that I was um, suggesting to the Clinton Foundation. And then a couple of months later, they came back to me and they're like, out of a thousand students, we chose you and 
come and I'm like oh my first trip solo trip so yeah that's how I ended up there and since then I've been involved in terms of um, providing them with feedback on their um their um what is it curriculum for um for uh entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs and uh yeah it has been a, a great community of support and uh also a lot of um a lot of uh, just mentoring, I would say, from people who have done it before as well. Um, let's see, where do we want to go from there? You have so many cool different areas that we could take this interview. It's, it's so much better than when you're like, oh, well, we could talk about music or whatever else. Um, <laughs> let's go into uh, the big thing that you have going because we definitely want to uh, give as much time to this as possible. Uh, you have a nonprofit organization. What can you tell us about it? So much. <laughs> Okay, so it started with the, like I told you, the Clinton Foundation. It was, it started there, and that idea of uh, of uh, uh, fighting against abuse and violence. That how it all started. But I was now that I'm, uh, I was now that I'm thinking back, it was more focused on another form of abuse that people don't often talk about, which is emotional abuse and psychological abuse. And actually, I want to ask you: Is that something that you often hear, emotional or psychological abuse? Um, I think that in the last few years, it's been a much more commonly talked about uh, both male and female. I think, mm. especially, especially in America, you have that kind of mentality of I'm a guy, I'm, I'm just stone faced, no yeah. emotion, heart, yeah. manly man. Yeah. Um, I think nowadays it's a, a much more common topic of or even, even jobs now are giving emotional health days where it used to just be actual sick, sick leave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's something that here I saw that it's starting a little bit, but in so many other countries where actually emotional abuse is the norm. When I say the norm is the social norm where people don't even think that it's a problem in the first place. So I saw that in my country, I, I was going through my training as a in, as an educator in my community college, and I learned about the signs of what's uh, emotional abuse, basically. And that was an eye opener for me, because that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, all my life, that's what I was going through or that's my, that was my life, my usual life, but I never realized it was a problem until I knew it was a problem. And that's the first thing because I didn't have the vocabulary to put on that type of behaviors or act. And then um, when I learned about it, I started to realize so many things. I went through like frustration, realization, you know, being angry at myself, being angry at, you know, even my parents at some point. But then I, I realized that actually they went through something similar through my research. I found out that it was a cycle that someone who has experienced that type of abuse is always more likely to do the same thing to the next generation. And it was more a, uh, a feeling of empathy that I um, that I uh, that I had after that. And through my research, I also found that in Madagascar, eighty percent of children go through the same thing, which is eighty percent. Can you imagine? It's almost nine million of nine million of children going through that. And that's not even the thing. Like emotional abuse is one thing, but once you look at the consequences that that can have on someone's sense of identity, dignity, self-esteem, mental health, and how it can affect one person. And if you really look, like if you try to use that same, um, I would say, uh, theory on the whole country, how would the economy, the development of a country 
would be. And some of my thought was like, maybe that's why our country is like that, that we're still like in development basically. And I looked into it and I talked to many psychologists and most of the answers that I got was yes, that's that can be one of the, the reasons why. So that's why I'm, I'm all about talking about it, first of all, to let people know that it is a problem. And then once people know that it's a problem, they can see the consequences because if they do see the consequences, but they don't even know what's the root of it, then it would be half, uh, we, we wouldn't be able to address the real problem. So we are trying to raise awareness, not only around the problem, but opening conversations around the consequences of emotional abuse and try to help people gain their agency back and really to provide them with more support tools so that they are able to you know reach their full potential because at the end of the day that's what's most um uh, affected once they go through that type of abuse and you mentioned uh that it's kind of just a cycle that one generation kind of almost hands down the abuse like it's a, a family relic yeah um, is, is in your research has there been anything that you've kind of been able to find a correlation of a way that people could kind of break that cycle and get away from it yeah, so it's healing, basically healing, knowing that it's the problem that they are going through it and now being, first of all, self-aware that it happened to them and being consciously and voluntarily wanting not to reproduce that. So going into the, because people do it without even noticing that they are replicating the same thing in the, the, the next generation. So that's what we do at Women. We're trying to break it with us because we are more aware now and i think all of the people that we have been able to touch with our with our mission now have an they have another lens when it comes to like seeing someone trying to abuse someone else or even being aware of ourselves being abusing ourselves with you know negative thoughts or just like um, seeing that in other relationships so I think that's the first step uh, letting people know about it and one of the solutions that we are also suggesting is to uh, provide people with tools based on social emotional uh, learning like I told you earlier because when people know um their own emotions when they are allowed to express them to see the the same emotions in other people they they create like more they build more empathy and they are able to say and be like more empathetic and be more kind to one another and that's that's where emotional abuse is most of the time because we're not able to express ourselves in healthier ways in ways that are like mean in ways that are diminishing making people feel that they are not enough so all of that, we're, we're trying to provide those tools and that awareness and that type of like, oh, uh, it's time to think about how we are behaving towards ourselves, but also uh, towards other people's with our words or with our negligence or silence sometimes, like you said earlier, when men think that, you know, society says that they cannot express their emotions which is totally wrong in the way we think at Omen. Uh, everybody, everyone has emotions and we, they, they should be allowed to express them. You mentioned uh, part of the, the main focus of the organization is to get the tools and, uh, and awareness out. Uh, what specific tools and what specific uh, mediums are you guys using for awareness and uh, education? Yeah, so we're providing, so uh, before COVID, we ran the, the so we've been uh, running for a year and almost a year and a half now, we just started and actually, can I just share a little bit about how it started? It was me uh, 
uh, talking for the first time about emotional abuse being normalized in my country. And when I did, I, I made a speech about it and the, the vision that Umena had. And at that time, I was like, I don't want I was very worried because I didn't want to trash my country and be like, in my country, emotional abuse is, uh, is normalized. But then I thought about it and I was like, but people need to know. So I did the, um, I did the video and uh, I was hoping that people would join the, the, the movement of awareness and would join the team. And it exceeded my expectation because the video went viral in my country, not just in my country, but in other developing countries where people could finally, I think, put a name on something that they, they went through. And uh, yeah, they started to reach out and that's how the whole, we have the whole movement of awareness going on, but we are we also offer the tools, like I told you, to try to prevent that. So we do that by going into the schools and provide workshops and uh, also support groups to people going through the same thing, providing them a space where they feel that they belong, they feel that their emotions are valid and that uh, they, their whole experience is valid and that it's possible to heal from it and that uh, we should end all of it with us. So that's what we've, we have done on the ground. But when COVID happened, we had to switch everything uh, in uh, online mode. So we have been uh, held in a lot of uh, Zoom calls, a lot of uh, uh, support group through Zoom. But I think the fact that people know that um, if people are joining UMEN, it's because they have in a way or another experienced it. And in a way or another, everybody has experienced it as a, a bystander or as a, you know, as someone who was a perpetrator without even knowing it. So most of the people, sometimes they go through our support group and realize that they have done that to someone else around them. And they acknowledge that, uh, you know, they, they've done it without knowing it. So now they want to to end it with, with them basically. And, and uh, we have that support group to, 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 to tell other people that it's okay to realize it, but now we're trying to, to all uh, work towards breaking that cycle. My light broke. <laughs> One <Ooh>. second. <laughs> no problem. Awesome, gotta love technology. It's great till it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you said you're going into schools. Uh, what what age group is your main uh, target? Are you going for like really early or kind of all, all ranges? So we're doing both. So uh, when we ran our first pilot program, we went into, first of all, uh, private school, public school and children on the streets. So we are not really going to a formal school. And uh we had that um, that category of uh, children from uh, six to twelve, and then we had another category of children in high school. So the one in um, earlier was about emotional intelligence. It was it was talking about the different emotions, letting them know what are the different emotions, and um, the other one was about uh, encouraging them to to foster. Um, a support group, not support group, but the support system where we would encourage them to have five people in their lives where they would tell what whatever was happening and that uh, it's okay to share whatever is happening because, yeah, like you said, trying to change that um, culture of uh, 
holding back and not not being able to share their emotions because people think it's weak and we're trying to change that and let people know that actually it's healthy it's it's strong to do that and that's what we have done with that category of uh, children and for the ones in uh, high school we talked about the signs of healthy relationships so it was more uh, let's build healthier relationships. Uh, what are the signs of healthier relationships? And we would hear based on their um, their stories that most of them were in very toxic relationships and they thought that it was actually normal. You know, a boyfriend that is not allowing you to talk to other girls or like, give me your password. Otherwise it means that you don't love me. So all of that, we tried to like have really candid conversation around it, but also um, giving them the tools that those are actually healthy relationships. How do you uh, foster those healthy relationships? Yeah. And is in my guesstimation, I'm guessing that the the early, the younger kids are more receptive and the, the teenagers are a little bit less likely to kind of talk to you guys when you come in or am I wrong with that guess? Actually, that was my guess too, but then we were wrong because all of them were really, really excited to talk about it. And I think it all came down with us allowing them to be vulnerable and starting being vulnerable ourselves and making them feel that it was okay to share in the type of space that we had and that it was a safe and brave space. And that right after I was sharing my own story, they would come to me and, and they would share their own. And like I told you, I think... 70% of them did end up telling me that they were in very toxic relationships, whether in their friendships or in their romantic relationship. Uh, let, let's kind of go with a buzzword type thing. What are uh, three to four ways to spot that you're in a toxic relationship? Okay, so I would say control. Uh, most of the time people come from the place from a place of wanting to keep the power so you know you go and then you try to control everything and based on that control you would want to isolate the other person and uh, yeah that's like that's the base of most of the the emotional abuse uh, type of um, uh, behaviors and then you know words that are diminishing humiliation um uh what is it uh humiliation intimidation manipulation all of that are also forms of uh, ways to make someone feel a small and belittle them basically and uh yeah most of the time those are like what you see most of the time and uh once you've noticed it it kind of what what are your your professional advice of somebody getting out of that kind of toxic kind of they've, re, they've realized they're in a place they shouldn't be but a lot of people like you always hear the story about a woman that's been beat by the same guy 40 times but won't leave yeah. kind of is it just that developing that support that you mentioned earlier to kind of have those five or six people you could lean to then or what are the ways to get out of that situation so uh most of the time uh like I told you earlier, people usually don't realize that they are um, being abusive. Sometimes they just do it because they think that's love. Like being jealous, being like overprotective is, is the form of love, but actually it's a form of control. And most of the time the person don't realize that they are doing it. So one of the ways that we usually um, tell people or the, the steps, the advice that we give is to to have a conversation with that person and letting them know, putting boundaries, 
that's the first step, like letting the person know that, hey, this is like, um, I don't know, it depends on their relationship. But for example, the fact that the person is too intrusive in their relationship and putting that boundary there. And most of the time when it's a healthy person, when I say healthy versus toxic behaviors. So when that person is healthy, they're going to understand that boundary and they're going to respect it. But in other cases, the person don't understand and don't accept it, and they continue, they, they start pushing that boundary and continue being very abusive. And at that time, the person can try to reinforce that boundary again. But then at some point, the person has to, to decide to leave or to, you know, to stay. And like you said earlier, in that cycle of uh, abuse, most of the time, the person knows when they know when they are narcissistic, especially, uh, they know that they are being abusive and they know that if they will tell the person that they will change, the person will stay. So will stay. So um, once they are being abusive and then the person put the boundary and they say they will change and then you see that cycle, the person try to like ask for forgiveness and they try their best again to make it all work. But then it is a cycle. They, they start, they continue being abusive. And at some point, the person who is abused has this the click and is like, actually, it's never going to change or she's never going to change. And then that's when they decide to leave. Or like you said, there is a financial also financial um, financial abuse where the person cannot leave the relationship because they are too financially dependent. So that's why they stay. They don't know where to go. That's where that system, that the support system comes into play because if the person leaves, they, the person don't want to leave because they don't know where to go. But if they do have that system that would understand what's happening, then they can leave and try to, you know, build themselves again, which is another story because they will go through healing. They will go through, you know, all of the trauma they, that the person has uh, gone through and try to really build themselves. And, and it's hard and it's scary and people don't want to do that most of the time. That's why they stay in that relationship. It all makes sense. I was wondering why you were talking. Is is there a difference in theory as you go cu country to country on these things, or is it all pretty much uh, universally? The theory is all universally accepted. So I've I've been able to talk to a lot of psychologists about it, and I've read books, and it everything that was that I've read or everything that I heard, I could see it when I was sharing or when I do my workshops and I hear from people from Canada, the same experience that they have in Madagascar. So I, I, I would think that now, based on all the conversation that I have, it's pretty much universal in terms of going through that type of abuse. And maybe it would be based on, it would be more exacerbated because of poverty or because of the culture in the country, but the way it shows and the way the per person feels about it is the same. Uh, I want to cover a little bit of, um, it says you're muted. I wonder if we're recording anything that you're saying. <laughs> I was grabbing some water and then it was making a lot of sound. No, no problem. I just looked over. I was like, I wonder how long that's been up there. Um, I did the same thing when the dogs were going nuts a minute ago. But uh, something that I'm always interested to, because we could talk about what you were just talking about for like 18,000 days. But um, yeah. once you decided to make it into not, not only a belief and then a school that you were going to go learn, but then you made an organization. How did you put a name on the organization? How did you pick the name? Yeah, I was thinking about this and... Um, 
I don't have it with me, but I have when I when I went through the you know the Clinton from the Clinton Global Initiative, I had an idea of how I would call it. So at that time, it was just like a let me show you. It was um was just like a O a O as in it, it was just someone holding a card, a red card. So in my country, red flags are also understood as red cards, and it's like stop, stop to abuse. And Umen, if you look at the logo. Have you seen the logo of Omen? Mm. So it's like a O, and then inside of the O, you can see someone holding a red card, basically, that said stop. And Omen is a play of words in my native language. Omena means give, provide, and Mena, the second part of the, which is in black, I think in black, yeah. It's um, it's in, in white, black. Oh my gosh, I don't know anymore. But <laughs> the, the Mena part means uh, red. So in this context, providing students, young people, tools so that they can spot the red flags ahead of time when it comes to unhealthy behaviors and relationships. Yeah. That's awesome. I, kn I knew there had to be some sort of like meaningful thing within there. Yeah. Is, is, is uh, soccer, we'll, we'll call it soccer, but is fo football a, a big thing is like, when, when I hear red card, I think of, of soccer. Yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of like tying that all together? Yes, yes, and uh, we do watch a lot of uh, soccer, and we. It has been one of the things that has bring brought the country together at some point with uh, Afcon. I don't know if you are. Are you watching soccer? Not at um, all. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a big thing over there, and yeah, it's it's yeah, it's red card meaning that you're out, or like red cards that students use to say stop to violence. Gotcha. And uh, as as a, uh, a nonprofit, you, you definitely want to focus on awareness more than, um, you know, say a, a, an artist. But what are some ways as a nonprofit that you've uh, tried to help get the get the awareness out as far as marketing, branding, promotion and stuff? Yeah, like what we're doing right now, <laughs> the fact that I reached out to you and that you uh, answered uh, positively, helping more people i think to get the word out and to let people know because it's not the in some country like i said it's more prevalent and it's more normalized but it exists everywhere in the world in the us everywhere and it doesn't it's not just for underprivileged uh, population it's for everybody it's emotional and psychological abuse is so subtle that sometimes you can't even see it and we um we talked about emotional abuse in um in uh, romantic relationships like that's how usually people think about it, but actually it can happen everywhere. When you think about your work, like how your 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 boss is treating you sometimes or how that type of imbalance when the power sometimes, most of the time, that's how people use their power and try to abuse other people. But actually it doesn't have to be that way all the time. So that's how, why we're trying to raise more awareness around this. And, uh, and uh, I'm sure that based on the things that I just shared with you today, someone is gonna see themselves in something that I shared today. And hopefully they will, it will help them, um, you know, have that click and try to also raise awareness around them as well. So that it, that's why we, I think we are starting this movement of awareness and uh, this movement of hope and uh, empathy that we're trying to build around us as well. And I think everyone uh, should be part of it because it's, 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 it's something that is going to change a lot of relationships overall. And we are 100% of the time uh, in relationships in everything we do. So, yeah. 
Why is there not a podcast for the organization? Because we just started and we need someone like you to help us, like, you know, have those type of conversations. I'm still like focusing on the whole structure right now. And uh, that will come. I'm sure it will come very soon. We're trying to, you know, still have um, stronger uh, grounds and stronger structure to to be able to continue what we do, because everyone in our um, organization right now is uh, a volunteer me included for now so yeah anything that can help us raise awareness we we are always uh, grateful to have them so thank you <laughs> yeah I, I definitely think for especially if you there's so many ways that you could take a podcast for your organization not only could you do in just awareness of the organization but you could do so have the same thing you, we're doing here just record a zoom call with you talking to an expert on any of the things that interest you for the week or the hmm. month or however often yeah the, the ability to like i said earlier before we started like fully rolling on this is once you have an hour of somebody that really is passionate about what they're talking about and knows what they're talking about like yourself mixed with another guest you have 20 or 30 clips that every day sure. that you could pump out on the different social medias or websites sure. press releases and then it's just that constant way of if you want to think of awareness you're like oh well every day you could also do instead of a long form you could do an every day mm -hmm. one minute two minute five minute just a piece of yeah. advice or a conversation clip of just what, whatever yeah. way you want to take it but to have that that's thing so right. that somebody that's following you on social media or is volunteering they could just know to look for it every day for that bit of inspiration or just mm. I think there's so many ways you could take it to not only get the awareness but then also once you get a bit of a following behind that and you start to throw up uh, either sponsorships or donations oh. it's another way to get funding for all the different initiatives that you have. Love that. Thank you so much for the tips. And I know this is not going into the <laughs> recording, but do you also mind like sharing this uh, recording with me so that maybe I can do that on my side as well to start? Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's a, that's a, that's some, you know, I think that that was my excuse, which I think is not valid anymore. In my mind, it's like, I need lights. I need like good, uh, like a long and good, great content. But actually, like you said, like just a minute of me being able to share something that will bring value to the people. Yeah. Yeah. The time to do that. That's my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so many people have that exact thought. And granted, I guess I shouldn't be giving this exact talk when I have a, a photography mm -hmm. like there and a backdrop and all the other <laughs> things, but it didn't start off with all that. It started off mm -hmm. with just a cell phone and a, and a microphone and just kind of interviewing the people that were local that I thought were interesting or local businesses, local musicians. And then once I got sick of tearing apart my living room, then it became, all right, let's start to build <laughs> a little bit in the basement and make it actually like a, a, a home studio type environment but gotcha. it doesn't have to start with that because a podcast or social media like it doesn't have to be a hundred percent produced to get the message across as long as there's clear audio and you could see a person or put just do the music visualize visualization screw mm. that word up every time but mm -hmm. you know kind of just have the graphic and the little uh, audio spectrum going and you can make so much extra content around it which yeah. I think is really the goal of what you're trying to do. And then once you get good at it and you get better at it, that's when more money comes into it and you could pump that into doing true. different different uh, programs. That's so true. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Are you also um, helping people with their uh, social media management? <laughs> um, I, I do a little bit of everything. So the, the, this mm. is the Collins Conversations podcast and it's part of my marketing brand, Colin Can Help, which mm. aims to get uh, artists, small businesses and the, and the small guy kind of 
start off, if you have zero budget, we teach you the, the courses or the articles of this is what you should do, free consultation, give mm -hmm. you the tools. You have a little bit of a budget. You do a little bit. I do a little bit. You have a big budget. Mm. I do it all for you. So kind of the way that not everybody has a ton of money to start a business and marketing wise, where my background came from was I was a landscape op owner operator and just scaling that business with the labor force is just a pain, but mm. I was always able to keep myself employed for 10 years. I always did the websites, the marketing. So mm. why not take those tools and give them to everybody else? So yeah, that's mm. where kind of all that came in. And that's where the podcast started was when I could talk to a different musician this day, small business person that day. Today, I'm talking with a nonprofit person. So I'm able to then when another client comes in and they have a question about how do I do something for my nonprofit or how do I do something for this? I'm then able to take the recollection of the conversation I had and then also builds that relationship. We just sat here and talked for an hour. The next person that has a podcast question, you're like, oh, I talked to this bald guy over here in Ohio that he'll be able to get, get you some information the same way. I'm like, oh, if you need some sort of school program, give them mm -hmm. a call. So it's yeah. the way the also the nice thing about a podcast is it's got me personally into rooms I probably shouldn't have been in mm. different level high level executives or owners that if I went to a coffee shop and was like can I talk to the owner about this cup of coffee maybe like get out of here kid you know mm. thanks for your purchase but keep it moving but when you're able to approach an expert a, a Nobel Prize winner in your case somebody that's got credentials in the field even if they don't know if you have five listeners or five thousand but mm. it's an, it's an honor to be like oh they're going to take time to to broadcast me to promote me let me put my message yeah. in a long form thing so it's, it's a nice way to build new relationships mm. and, and even if you're a small small organization you could have a lot bigger presence with a good website, a podcast, and a mm -hmm. regular social media. You look yeah. like you're all paid instead of all volunteers. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful uh, for all of the people who have, you know, uh, believed in the mission and started to join. And even if they didn't know exactly how they would want to get involved, like you said, like they would help create some content and just help us put that out. So yeah, definitely having volunteers for now and making it look like we're paying to get what we do. So yeah, I'm just like really grateful for all of them. Another option of why I was thinking about kind of what you do to kind of help you on your side promote what you're doing is everybody loves a challenge, whether it's a TikTok challenge, Instagram challenge, you put yeah. the word challenge, people do the stupidest things or actually take time to do good. <laughs> Yeah. but if you kind of made like the the whatever hashtag challenge that you want to mm -hmm. call it, but have somebody do a 30 second video of how did you have this type of emotional abuse and how did you overcome it or kind of that's just mm. almost like a testimonial story of kind of just somebody that wants to bring awareness in their own way but tying mm. it together with some sort of social campaign mm -hmm. that brings it back to your page or guarantee that if if you do this we'll reshare it on our platform and kind of just yeah. another way to build a community while yeah. also building content it's kind of mm -hmm. it's all about that True. two birds one stone why, why yeah. do one day for content and one day for for um, mm -hmm. mission when you can do it yeah we, we've done a couple of those and that's how i think we had like very um, natural following based on uh those type of challenge and having them but definitely we we did put them on our stories but not on our feed so yeah that's a, a great idea that you just gave me so thanks again
what other marketing branding questions can I answer for you before we get out of here? Anything? Mm, Brendan, Brendan, Brendan. I feel like you just answered everything <laughs> already. Okay. I don't know. What else? Um, mm, I don't know. Uh, what else uh, do you also go off, like offline? Like, let's say TV or like papers. Do you have like journal paper? Um, do you have any? One thing that I'm a bit. Was the last part? Yeah, any leads on how we can also reach out those um, like audiences? So one way that I've been um, really pushing lately is on the back of my phone, this little thing here, it's called a popple. Have you heard oh. of these yet? Oh no. What this is, is it's essentially like a little stick on QR code. So if you're in a meeting with somebody or you're in a class and you, you kind of strike up a conversation about who you are and your organization, or they're interested, in, instead of having to give them a business card that says, mm -hmm. this is my website, my information, all these things, or uh, even a QR code that's a real simple scan it and you go. What this mm -hmm. does is as long as they have a newer phone, it'll instantly open up a thing on the top where they mm. click it and it will go to a, like a kind of like a link tree. Mm. Uh, and it would have all the different things that you want, whether it be a donate button, a contact, any of your mm -hmm. social media, mm -hmm. a bunch of different integrations. Yeah. I've been really liking those lately. I'm kind of getting off my QR. I was all about everybody needs business cards with QR codes, but mm -hmm. I've lost and broken and bent up so many business cards and wasted yeah. them. That to just yeah. have something, you always have your phone. You might not always have yeah. a business card. Yeah, yeah. So is this, so is this like, if you were to show me this, do I need another like bubble as well to be able to get the information or no, as long as just on a, your side? As long as you have a newer phone, I think as long as it's like an iPhone 8 or oh. 8, somewhere within there, then it just pops easy. If you have an older phone, then it's kind of a, a bit of a pain. Mm. Um, but gotcha. it's one of those just that have that in your arsenal to still have a business card too. Mm. But then to also have this for business card for the older person, the more modern person, you see they have yeah. a new flashy phone. You're like, hey, just hold out your phone real quick. And as long as you go like that, they'll get all your information as soon as okay. they Okay. So where do I get that? Um, I could send you a link when we're all done with it. Okay, perfect. They're like 20 bucks, one time uh -huh. done. If, if, if your organization, organization grows, they've got deals where if you get like 50 or 60 or more, then you could put your logo on them and make them all fancy. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're trying to get as far as offline, I don't mm -hmm. think TV is a good one because nobody that's actually sitting around watching TV cares to hear that they're mm -hmm. a lazy blob. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm big on SEO as far as still being online, making mm -hmm. sure that your work, keyword, your website and everything's keyword optimized is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, but for you guys personally, I think focusing on digital is the way to go unless you have a specific area that you know that you want to go and do a specific program at, then mm. that's where doing more paper mailers or there's a lot of different, uh, more traditional means, but developing content that's giving value is going to be the biggest thing more so than don't, don't sponsor an ad that says you could donate here to help people mm -hmm. in Madagascar. Nobody mm -hmm. cares. But if you could keep putting out, Every day you do it, like 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 I said, kind of that one minute, two minute, however many long audio thing. You mm -hmm. also start to put together kind of uh, an emotional needs handbook or something mm -hmm. like that to then give the, the way that people always do. Here, take download this free ebook, but mm -hmm. give us your email address so we can send you updates about mm -hmm. how how we're helping. So you're you're giving 
content and products in the way of education and you're either giving those away or at least sell them at cost or a little bit of mug, whatever mm. you want to do that. But yeah. by giving the value of just teaching people or making the videos, I would say, I don't know how, how many uh, high schools you've gone into, but I remember every video in high school being like 20 years before we got there and just so corny, you didn't pay attention to the message. If you could find a, a modern hip way to get these concepts on video and then mm. send those videos to schools to say mm-hmm. whether it's a YouTube link or you know a package, however you want to do it, mm-hmm. but to, to make a something that's easy to watch as a kid so where you're not like, yeah. oh, we're going to go learn about feelings again, you know, kind <laughs> of just, but something that once you're watching it, it really gets somebody's attention and getting content is going to be king because in, in yeah. business, you want an edu- educated consumer, they're going to be your best, best shopper and yeah. in nonprofit, the better educated they are and the more value you give them. If, mm-hmm. you, if you gave me 40 tips on how to be a better person and then on the 41st time I saw your thing, it said, Hey, you could donate here to help us with our mission to get more content, more people. Mm-hmm. I almost feel guilty that you've given me so much good information. I'm going to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll give them $3 or whatever they're asking. Yeah. For. Yeah. Okay. I, I would make you. content, make content, make content if I were you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's the the next thing to do. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> and uh yeah. where, where can everybody find you and find your organization online after they just listen to this hour conversation and they want to go learn more? Yeah, so uh, they can find us in all the different platforms from Facebook to uh, Instagram to TikTok to YouTube and uh, the link. Uh, maybe you can go right away on our Instagram since this is going to be on Instagram, right? And they can go on Umena Movement. Uh, and then from there, you can click on our bio and find all of the different links to get into our website and all of the uh, other platforms. Awesome. And I always like to, um, the same way I had you start the interview, you get one minute at the end of the interview to end it on whatever way you want, whether it's promotional, inspirational, you get to send everybody away on whatever tone you want to send them. Whenever you're ready, you get one minute. <laughs> so much pressure when we say it that way, right? It is, isn't it? <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, listening, for being here. We are creating a movement that really promotes empathy, healthy relationships, and uh, uh, we are inviting you to join our movement. Follow us on social media. Uh, look at our website, umena.com. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for checking out that clip. If you don't want to wait for clips, on average, it's about a month from the time that things are released on collinsconversations.com until they come out on the podcast, on Spotify, on iTunes, on all the different places that you're listening to it at. So if you don't want to wait and you want to get exclusive content while helping creators, helping me promote creators, collinsconversations.com backslash subscribe. $2 a month. $13 a year or $22 for lifetime access, never have to pay again and really help out the show. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.